0: Well, turn with me in your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Colossians, chapter 4. The book of Colossians, chapter 4. I am excited to be in this uh, place with you. I've been away for two weeks with saints in other places. Please forgive me, I forgot to tell you I was taking off. Um, Lisa even reminded me the week before remember to tell the folks you'll be gone for two weeks. I said, Oh, yes, it's a part of my plan. I gave you the benediction, walked down, and thought, I didn't tell them I was leaving. So it'll be my my practice to do that. Two weeks ago, I was with Grace Bible Church in Moore, and they greet you. And this last Sunday, I was at Desert Springs Church in Albuquerque preaching for a conference there that I used to run. It was nice to, to bring the word and not logistics this time. And the saints there greet you as well. Well, today is our last sermon in the book of Colossians, where we have been for a number of months. We'll finish that book up today. Friday and Saturday of this coming week, will be in Mark's Gospel. At Christmas time, for the incarnation, we were in Mark's Gospel. And we'll be in Mark's Gospel at the back end of this week. I pray that you'll come, invite your friends and neighbors. And then after that, a few standalone sermons. And then, mid-April, we're going to begin a new series. We're going to work our way through the book of 1 Timothy. I would encourage you um, to sit down and read 1 Timothy out loud Begin reading that book and meditating on that book and let's see, let's just see how much fruit God will bear in our church through it as he has borne much fruit through the book of Colossians. Well, on the plane ride back from Albuquerque this last week, my mind was flooded with names and stories as it was flooded with your names and stories on my way there a few days before. And this story of reconciliation here, another story of continued faithfulness there, and a story of faithful service here, and all of this, all of this, of great encouragement to me. And I thought, as I flew there, how will I tell them all about you? And I thought, as I flew back here, how will I tell you all about, about them? Well, you can't do it. Um, I thought, where will I find an outlet for these thoughts and encouragement in my heart? And then I turned And then I turned to my text for this week. I thought, oh, this is a perfect text from which to overflow with encouragement for you on the back end of seeing old friends and of thinking about you. Let's read together verses 7 through 18 in this last chapter of our letter in Colossians. Listen out for no small list of names. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities, Paul says. He's a beloved brother, a faithful minister, a fellow servant in the Lord. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you everything that's taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. They have been a comfort to me. And there's Epaphras, one who is one of you as well, a servant of Christ Jesus. He greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, he greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains and grace be with you well like a good pastor and writer in the course of his letter to the colossian church paul has used an abundance of images you think of chapter 1 and and that agricultural imagery he gave us the gospel is what it's it's bearing fruit in you and it's bearing fruit it's growing in the whole world and here in paul's last words we see how the gospel is bearing fruit and growing in the region around Paul, where he's at prison and at the church at Colossae. He's never been there, but he's heard of them, and he's celebrating God's work there. We think of chapter two with that traveling image. As you received Christ, so walk in him. And here at the end of the book, we find a list of names of brothers and saints who are walking with him. And in chapter two, we also had that knitting image. He said, he struggles for the church so that their hearts may be encouraged, that their hearts may be knit, knit together in love. And here at the end of the letter, to leverage that image, if we could, we find Paul knitting uh, from a prison floor. Theology, all of the beautiful vision of Jesus and doctrine of salvation that we've received in this book is not. It is not mere abstraction. Paul has an incredible breadth and depth of capacity and love for the people. And he imparts to them a vision of Jesus in all of his glory. He's weaving this name together with with that name. And he's weaving this church together with that church. And he's weaving this story together with that story. He's weaving together, if you will, a beautiful Tapestry of the gospel, and as we meditate on these names, we find that there are indeed many gospel threads coming together, being woven with the threads of these lives and names. Gospel threads we've heard throughout the book Jesus, the firstborn of all creation and of the new creation, and He's raising men and women from the dead, a people for the new creation. He's the first one out of the gate, He opens the way. For us, and we're a whole new people in him. A threat of a people that's been transformed from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of God's beloved son. A threat of a people whose sins have been canceled and nailed to the cross. A people who were empty and without hope, but who now have hope. The hope of glory, Jesus himself. A people not powerful by the world's standards, but that people powerfully raised and their savior who has disarmed all of the spiritual powers and authorities and a people who's been powerfully reconciled to God and one another something we can't do on our own only the gospel does it a people who was dead but made alive and they've been given new hearts through the spiritual surgery that God has performed to make us new creations a people united to Jesus in his life death and resurrection who will be appear with him when he appears and a people who because of all this look to things above and that future day who puts to death earthly things like sexual immorality and anger and malice. We remember from chapter three, a people for whom there is no, neither Jew nor Greek slave nor free. You know, maybe to you the gospel and the church represents a kind of a cultural or political force of power. Well, here we find, we find A man committed to the gospel in a prison floor, fully convinced of the power of God and that power of God manifest in the stories of the people that we will hear a bit about this morning. A people who look to things above and who put on love and compassion and patience and forbearance and and forgiveness. A new people created by the gospel. Paul is knitting together With these names and stories and gospel threads, a beautiful tapestry of the gospel. He's weaving together the threads of the gospel with the threads of the lives of these people for a display of what God can do in the world. Many different names and threads, but one complete picture. And in these closing words, Paul is knitting their hearts together and he is knitting their hearts to him. That's what he's doing. He uses different kinds of needles along the way. If you're into knitting, you know, you can have a long needle or a short needle or fat needles or skinny needles for your own purposes, depending on what you're trying to make and how big the thread is, I guess. I count four kinds of needles here. Look with me on the page. From verses 7 through 9, reports. Tychicus will tell you all that's going on here. Anismus with him. He'll tell you everything. In Verses 10 through 15, we get... A string of greetings. This person greets you. This person greets you. This person greets you. I, Paul, greet so-and-so. I, Paul, greet so-and-so. And And in verses 16 through 17, we have some instructions. Go ahead and do this. Swap letters with this church. So-and-so. Fulfill the ministry you've been given. And in verse 18, we have a goodbye and these are more than just reports and greetings and such, but these are gospel reports and gospel greetings and gospel instructions followed by a gospel goodbye. Every element of these closing words shaped by the truth of Jesus and his salvation, which we have been given. Every, every line here, a line, an answer to prayer that Paul has been praying for God to open a door for the gospel. You remember that a few weeks ago. We prayed, as Paul prayed, for an open door for the gospel. Well, the reason why Paul can ask for that is because he knows God will grant it, and he's seen God grant it. And this very text with all of these names and all that we see that God is doing on the ground of the first century is itself an answer to Paul's prayers that God would open a door for the gospel. And so as we look at these pages, we see more than names and greetings and and reports and instructions and a, and a goodbye, but we see gospel reports and greetings and instructions and a goodbye. This is the interaction of the apostle with his people in the midst of the mission that Jesus has given to his church to preach the gospel, and God is answering their prayers for an open door for it to take root. It's exciting. And this is one of the great benefits of expositional preaching. We actually come to texts like this that we might just run through. We slow down to hear why God has put this here for us. How is this for our instruction and teaching, for training rebuke and righteousness? Gospel reports, greetings, instructions, and a goodbye. And in the life of our church, God is weaving together a beautiful tapestry for the glory of Jesus as well. And maybe you say, nope, my life's a mess, my relationships are broken, I've made some massive, massive mistakes, I have sinned. Well, I encourage you to listen. You say, nope, I'm a low life who has committed great sins. All of us are with you. Listen, God is at work. You say, nope, my church is not only not perfect, but has real problems. So did the church at Colossae. Listen, please. And may Paul's long sign off to this letter, as it was intended by him for that church, may it encourage us today. And may God, through it, knit our hearts together that we may be made mature in Christ. Let's start with verses seven through nine Gospel reports. Gospel reports. Paul's imprisoned, but his message is not bound, and he has not been bored. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He's a beloved brother and a faithful minister, and he's a fellow servant in the Lord. And I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you everything that has taken place here. Paul is sending two men. Let's talk about these guys first in the reports. Tychicus, that's our first name. A man of famous reputation as a messenger. We see his name mentioned in Paul's letter to the Ephesian church. He says, so that you may know how I am and what I'm doing, Tychicus will, our, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, he's going to tell you everything. He said that to the Colossians. He, to Titus at Crete, I send you Artemis and Tychicus. I send them to you with this letter. Paul's letters have Tychicus's fingerprints and maybe sweat all over them. Already, we can tell, though, that he's more than a mere male boy. He has more than the strength to get from point A to point B. He's going to explain and expound the letter. He's going to give an activity report. He's going to tell the the church how Paul is doing. And he's a good one to do this more than for his reliability, but for his character. Notice the description. He's a brother in Christ, but more. Paul Paul loves him. He's a beloved brother. He's a minister. He's given of himself to the church's spiritual good, but he's more than that. He's He's a faithful minister. And he's a fellow servant in the Lord, a partner. Paul's affirmation of this brother Oh, he is not Paul's servant, although he is serving Paul's purposes. He is with the Apostle Paul, a servant of the Lord. Tychicus is not alone. Two are better than one. He sends Anisimus with him. Anisimus, who's Anisimus? Well, he as well is a faithful and beloved brother. Remember that he's called that. He's a brother in Christ and he's faithful in Christ. He's also, he says, one of you. What does he mean that Onesimus is, is one of you? Well, there are two senses in which Onesimus is one of you. In the first place, he was previously a Colossian. He's, he's from that city of Colossae. But then he's also a Christian. He's a Christian. There's a backstory here. Anissimus is famous not as a messenger like Tychicus was. He's famous for another reason. Onesimus was a bondservant in Colossae, in the home of a man named Philemon. And the church reading this letter is reading it in the home of a man named Philemon. The same man. Onesimus has been here before. He's lived here. This was his place of vocation. And Philemon, we should imagine, was an upstanding master, not abusive, he was a believer and we have no indication from this letter or the letter to Philemon that follows Colossae that Philemon was a problem. But we have good reason to think that Anisimus was a problem, a bad worker, of bad attitude and that he defrauded Philemon by running away. And no doubt there were problems leading up to that departure. But when the Colossians thought he was good for gone, good for gone for good, not only is he coming back but he is coming back with Paul's good commendation. He is a faithful and beloved brother now because he wasn't one of you. Not as a Colossian, but as a Christian. Here are these little echoes from the book of Philemon, a letter that Paul sent along with the book to the church at Colossae, but to Philemon to be read as, out loud by the rest of the church. He says, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. So here Paul, while he's in prison, this is why he sees the gospel powerfully at work, sees Onesimus come to faith in the Lord Jesus, transferred from the kingdom of darkness, to the kingdom of God's beloved son. He says, I'm sending him back to you. I'm sending my very heart. Paul's heart is wed to the heart of Onesimus. Onesimus is a transformed man. And he says for this very purpose is why he was parted from you for a while that you might have him back forever. He says in God's providence, Anisimus ultimately left, certainly because of his own sin, but in God's purposes so that he might become one of Christ's and he might be sent back to you and belong to you forever. That you might have him back forever. Here, a first of several pictures of God's powerful, reconciling work to make two very different people of the same people. Paul said in Colossians 3, don't lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there's neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian scythian slave free but Christ is all and Christ is in all the new self we put on the new self created in the likeness of Christ Jesus renewed in the image of its creator the old race under adam's the image was broken and marred but in Christ the new adam whom we sang about the image is being renewed Christ the true image of God, Christ who's taken on the image of man. And as we have faith in him and are joined to him, we individually are new creations. But get this, as we are individually new creations, being renewed in our humanity, we're joined to one another, not just so that we would be individually Christians, but we would be together, Christ's people, the church. And that's why he says, here there's not Greek nor Jew, Circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. He makes himself a new people. And we see that reconciling power, which only he can accomplish, right here on the page. Onesimus, treated on the level of Epaphras. Epaphras, who planted the church, we'll learn about in a few. Treated on the same level as Tychicus with his great reputation of serving Paul. As a delivery man. Here sent back one of you, a faithful brother. Why is he sending them, Tychicus and Anisimus? Well, they'll carry the letter, but they will carry more. They will carry an account of how Paul is doing. He says, He'll tell you about all my activities, that you may know how we are. He says, They will tell you of everything that's taken place here. Oh, who knows what God had done, but they're going to report. Why is it important? For Paul's sake? Because he wants them to know how he's doing for his own sake? No, for their sake. Verse 8, I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. So they're sent with this mission to encourage the hearts of the people. And, And as Paul is sending them to encourage the church, so this is what he's been doing the whole time in the letter. Remember these words from Colossians 2 where he said, I want you to know my great struggle that I have for you and for those at Laodicea, for all who have not seen me face to face, his struggle that their hearts may be encouraged, knit together in love. What's the purpose of that? To reach all the riches of the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. Paul is sending Tychicus and Onesimus back to them with these reports to encourage their hearts, to knit their hearts together that they may know Christ better. And so a needle pulls on thread. He pulled on the thread of Onesimus and the church and through Onesimus he pulls the church and himself together strengthening the ties through these men, this letter and their reports. He wants the church to know how he was doing. And friends, these kinds of activity reports are important. You know, when we get a report from our missions partners on the field, um, we might be tempted to think they need us to know how they're doing. And that's true. They do need us to know how they're doing. And we need to know how they're doing. For our sake. For our encouragement. As God proves to us and shows us the powerful work of his gospel in other places so that our hearts might be knit together, so that we might know the riches of the treasures that are in Jesus. And when Abe and Liz go with their family to Utah for the, for the revitalization, the launch, first Sunday of this new church with uh, the Brookses. They're going to give a kind of report, whether informally or formally, and to speak about God's work here. And that's not for our sake, so that they might know what we're doing. That's for their sake, so their hearts might be encouraged. And Abe's going to bring a report back to us in one way or another, small groups or large, to tell us how things went and how they're doing. And that's not just for their sake, but it's for ours, because we need to hear of God's work in other places. The Steels, a few weeks ago, at our evening prayer, shared about their work in Uruguay. And we need to hear about their work so that our hearts might be encouraged and so that we, our hearts might be knit together so that we might know the treasures that are all in Christ. Gospel activity reports. They're important. They're important for us. Now, gospel greetings. Verse 10 through 15. Gospel greetings. Six different greetings from six different individuals. Then two greetings from Paul. And with each greeting, a pass of the needle as Paul knits these people together and knits them to himself and even knits churches to one another, as we'll see. In this section, I kind of imagine a photograph being set up where everyone's trying to get in the frame. You'll see Paul sending greetings for all kinds of people. I kind of imagine them around Paul. Hey, make sure when you send that letter to the Colossians, say hi for me. Hey, send my greetings too. Make sure my name's in there. I want them to know that I'm thinking of and praying for them. So we're going to pan around the the photo a bit and consider each of these names. First verse 10 Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, he greets you. He was mentioned in a in a list with Tychicus in Acts 20 and Tychicus is from Thessalonica, Aristarchus from Asia. And he probably is actually imprisoned with Paul. He's probably with Paul in prison. He may even be there by his own volition. It may be that he is there in support of Paul. Listen to these words from Acts 27. When it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius and embarking in a ship which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea, accompanied, Paul was, By Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. So he was with Paul, at least in the first part of that journey. Which means Aristarchus could say perhaps all that Paul said. In 2 Corinthians 11, the three times I was beaten with rods, he would have been there for that. Once Paul was stoned three times, he was shipwrecked. He was there for one of the shipwrecks, at least. A night and a day I drifted at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers and danger with robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night in hunger and thirst, often without food in cold and exposure. And now Paul is in prison in Aristarchus, is his fellow prisoner and he's been with Paul for a while and through trouble, a fellow prisoner in the Lord. Two others greet the church with Aristarchus. There's Mark, the cousin of Barnabas and Jesus who is called justice. Now this Jesus called justice, we don't know anything more about than what we have here. But then there's Mark, the cousin of Barnabas and Mark's mention ought to bring a smile to our faces. Mark's mention here is an achievement of the grace of God to reconcile a broken relationship. Paul and Barnabas, you see, delivered a collection of money to the Jerusalem church. They were sent to do that from Antioch. Acts 11. Now, in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the spirit that there would be a great famine over the world It took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea and they did so sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. So Barnabas and Saul went with this collection, a treacherous journey, they delivered it and on their way back they brought John called Mark with them. He became a partner in the ministry. He traveled with Paul and with Barnabas on this first missionary journey, but not all the way. Not all the way. He jumped out of the trip, and we don't know why exactly. We don't know if it was laziness or fear or disinterest or distraction, but we do know it caused trouble between Paul and Barnabas when it came to deciding what to do with Mark later. Acts 15 tells us, and after some days... Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaimed the word of the Lord and to see how they are. Now, Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement, so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of our Lord. So the two could not agree on what to do with Mark. Luke tells us there was a sharp disagreement, and it happens, and to varying degrees. What to do with Mark was not a matter of really straightforward uh, principle. Each of these men weighed the considerations slightly differently, even in the end, quite differently. And apparently Paul, based on his evaluation of Mark and what had taken place and what they were going to do on this second missionary journey to strengthen the churches, given all that they had been through, including beatings and stonings and shipwrecks, wasn't willing to take on Mark given the risk that that would entail in his mind. But Barnabas thought differently, and they both thought differently strongly enough that they sharply disagreed, it says, and they parted. And this kind of thing happens to varying degrees. Did you know that your elders do not always immediately agree on everything we discuss? That it takes time and listening and patience and understanding to work on almost any topic for which there's no straightforward verse of scripture there are about 20 of us pray for your elders with limited time and each of us limited perspective and with the same scriptures in our hands many matters of pastoral prudence and and timing and weighing this angle and that thought as to what is best for the church and in this particular case Paul and Barnabas had a sharp disagreement, which meant they went different ways, even. Not forsaking each other as not brothers, but practically speaking, they just had to get things done separately. And that can happen. And it's not the end of God's work. Perhaps Paul accepted Mark's repentance, but couldn't trust him with all that was at stake And Barnabas merely weighed the risks differently. Well, whatever the case may have been, here in this letter, 12 years later in this letter to the Colossian church, Mark gets this mention. And they've been reconciled. And Mark doesn't appear to be under Paul's charge like Tychicus was. He does say, if he comes to you, which is to say, Mark's here. He says, hi. By the way, if he comes to you, welcome him. You've received some instructions already about this. Paul has made sure that the church knows that they're okay and they should welcome him. It doesn't need to be a Paul versus Mark thing. It doesn't need to be a Paul versus Barnabas thing. And who knows if they've ultimately gotten around on the same page as to what happened or what should have happened. It doesn't very much matter. They've been reconciled. Paul and Mark. Aristarchus, Mark, and Jesus called Justice. Good men. In fact, these are the only men of the circumcision, he says, among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. That is to say, these men are, are Jewish men who have come to believe in Jesus, and they've been a great comfort to Paul. Paul, who is preaching, That the Jewish Messiah, Jesus, was salvation for the Gentiles and that God was making one new humanity through him. God reconciling Jews and Gentiles together, breaking down the barrier of the dividing wall to make one new humanity. Jews and Gentiles. You think of Jesus going through Samaria in the story of the gospel and how scandalous that was. The Samaritans. 400 years of animosity between the Samaritans and the Jews because the Samaritans had intermarried with the Assyrians. Total, absolute opposition to one another. The Samaritans had even made a rival temple and claimed that it was the true temple. Jews and Samaritans at absolute odds precisely because the Samaritans had hooked up with the Gentiles. Now, they should not have done it. But in God's providence... In the course of redemptive history, God's plan all along is to include the Gentiles in the blessing of salvation. And it blew the minds of first century Jews. But here these Jews accept that as the very plan of God. Paul, an apostle to the Gentiles, comforted here by the Jews. We get a little flicker of God's reconciling work in their presence with him. Paul's had trouble with Jewish Christians, apparently. Perhaps some of the trouble with Jewish Christians was caused by some of the trouble Gentile preachers were creating. We think of Philippians chapter 1, where Paul speaks of rivalry and conceit and the gospel even being preached from wrong motives. But he rolls with it because the gospel is preached, and yet that created trouble for him. Verse 12, we get a new face, and this one takes up a lot of space on the frame. His name's Epaphras, and we've heard of Epaphras before. In chapter one, he says, just as you learned the word of truth from who? Epaphras. Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he's made known to us your love in the spirit. Epaphras was like a go-between for this church. Epaphras had become a Christian under Paul's ministry, and Epaphras had gone home to Colossae and opened his mouth prayed for an open door and God answered and the gospel bore life there and now there's a congregation there. Epaphras was a faithful gospel minister. And isn't that how God does it? One believes and then one goes and speaks the word of truth and God makes a Christian and God creates a congregation. And it's one by one by one, including you, And who knows if this letter were written today, if your name would be here as one who received the gospel and then taught the gospel to one. And they believed. And then they taught the gospel and they believed. It does come down to individual names and faithfulness. A beloved fellow servant. May we be beloved fellow servants with the Apostle Paul speaking the gospel as did Epaphras. He is one of them. He is from them and he went home with the news of Christ. And he's also hard at work for them. Look at verse 12. Epaphras, who's one of you, he's a servant of Christ Jesus, he greets you. By the way, he is always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in the will of God. For I bear him witness that he's worked hard for you. Oh, he's struggling and he's, he's praying. He's praying that you would be fully assured that you may stand mature in all the will of God. Folks, we've heard all this stuff before. This is what Paul's been doing. Listen, listen carefully to these words from throughout the letter of Colossians. And so he says from the day we heard, we've not ceased to what? To pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of what? His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And he says in verse 28, Christ we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ in Colossians 2 verse 1, I want you to know, Paul says, how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea, that their hearts may be encouraged and knit together to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. And now again, in our verses here, 4 verse 12, Epaphras, who's one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, he greets you always, what, struggling on your behalf in his Prayers that you may stand fully mature and fully assured in all the will of God. He is working hard for you. He knows, as Paul does, exactly what he wants for the church. He wants their maturity in Christ. Their maturity in Christ. He knows what they need for that. They need encouragement. They need encouragement. And he knows who provides it. And that's why he prays. And he knows what it takes. And that's why he struggles. And friends, ministry is a struggle. It's a struggle for people. And it's a struggle in prayer for people. And it's a struggle in prayer for people. For their maturity in Christ. That they would know all that is theirs by union with him. That they would put off earthly things. That they would put on things the new self. That they would seek the things that are above and not the things that are below. That they would be filled with all the full assurance that's in Jesus. This this here is faithful ministry. Epaphras is a faithful minister. He's not flashy. He's faithful. He's prayerful. He's even stressed over them. Friends, consider this, that that ministry talent without faithfulness does not, apart from God's spirit to work in spite of it, bear spiritual fruit. He does not commend here ministry talent. Correct theology even without, without everyday people loving, people striving, prayerful faithfulness is not bear spiritual fruit. It even, consider that, talent and correct theology can poison, but by God's grace, spiritual fruit. He commends here the faithful partner in the gospel. Our struggle is a spiritual work in ministry, it's a spiritual labor. It's a struggle against human wisdom. We think of chapter two, there were people speaking for God with human wisdom about what true Christian maturity is. The external things, disqualifying others on account of human rules and judging others on account of human judgments. Rules about what makes a good church and what makes real Christianity and what makes God happy that we're made up out of thin air for there is no scripture to ground them. Don't touch this. Don't taste that. Don't hear that. Paul goes at it with the sharpest of blades because it undermines the full experience of Jesus. That's what chapter 2 is about. And Paul's letter is a plea, not just to shed those meaningless rules and boundaries, but to pursue with passion Christ in all of his fullness. It's a struggle against human wisdom, which is always threatening the true thing. And it's a struggle for the full experience of the fullness of Jesus Christ. He deals with false teachers in chapter 2 because of the danger of these false ideas that threaten the fullness of Christ. He wants their full assurance in Jesus. And if they're going to be full assured in all that is theirs in Christ, they need judgmentalism and disqualifications on the basis of human rules out of the picture. Out. Don't let anyone disqualify you, he said. Don't let anyone judge you. Do not be deluded with them with human philosophy that attaches itself to true Christianity. And may God guard our church from all of that, that we may know Christ. As he is. So it's a spiritual work, this struggle is. And Epaphras is struggling for their full assurance and encouragement and therefore maturity in the faith. Epaphras is one of them, and he was fully engaged with Paul in this struggle for the Colossian church. But he wasn't just a homebody. Look at verse 13. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Uh, He's getting around to other churches, multiple churches. He has a lot on his shoulders. And Paul commends him here out loud and publicly in this letter so that everyone will know that he has Paul's support. That's a bit on Epaphras, a beloved fellow servant. Now we have a mention of Luke. Luke, we've got Paul, Mark, and Luke. All scripture writers, by the way. Here they are together. Here they are together. As far as we can tell, Paul and Luke spent a lot of time together. Luke was with Paul on the road in Macedonia. Luke was with Paul on his return trip from a third missionary journey. And Luke was with Paul on the shipwrecked voyage we've read about. And Luke is here again with Paul in his imprisonment in Rome. And he says hi. Demas says hi as well. You know, Demas is a different character. Um, Paul and Mark were reconciled. In some fashion, but within the next few years, Demas would abandon Paul at the end of Second Timothy. Demas is said as one who abandoned Paul. Demas, in love with this present world, yikes, deserted me. Deserted me. Not everyone sticks around. It happens too. And in verse 15, Paul has checked off all of his greetings for others. He gets on with two of his own now. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her home. Give my greetings to these churches and to the church in Nympha's home. We see here gospel partnerships are a part of Paul's ministry. Gospel awareness, gospel friendship. He's celebrating and cheering on the work of God in other places. And it's just worth noting, friends, that even as a gospel outpost here at our street corner, We don't compete with other churches for Christians. This is a very important thing I'm about to say. It's a way of thinking about ministry that messes with a church when its leaders think only in these terms, in these terms. We don't compete with other gospel churches for Christians. We cheer on churches and we gladly learn from other churches as they are prayerfully laboring to win their neighbors around them. We learn from other churches as we, if we could say it, compete with the world and Satan's lies for the souls of precious image bearers around us. And so faithful gospel works in our region are friends of heritage. And we cheer them on and we learn from them. Second Presbyterian Church downtown, Hampton Park Baptist Church, Subar Road around the corner, Calvary Baptist in Simpsonville, Emmanuel Bible, Grace Bible, and more. North Hills, Grace Baptist Church. Down the street, my friend Jamie there. The church at Cherrydale, the church at Greer Station, Hope Chapel. And these are just some friends that I've made. And there's, there are many other gospel faithful churches in the region. And where God's word and gospel is bearing fruit, we cheer it on. Paul says, give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her home. He knows these folks by name. Now, why doesn't he mention here the church at Hierapolis? Maybe he's got a problem with the church at Hierapolis and doesn't send his greetings to them. I don't think that's it. We get a clue back in chapter 2, verse 1. He says, I want you to know there how great a struggle I have for you at Colossae and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. I think it's likely that the church at Colossae and the church at Laodicea were dealing with the same issues with false teachers and false teaching. And he adds a greeting specifically for the church at Laodicea along with Colossae in order to knit them a little closer to his own heart. And as a side note, it's interesting that we are talking about three churches two of which have false teaching in the water and Paul doesn't pull out of fellowship but leans in to help. Not the only thing we do when a church is dealing with false teaching, but Paul is all hands on deck to help, cheerfully, optimistically encouraging and praying and laboring for them. And everyone is saying hi and he's sending activity reports and a letter. Say hi to the church at at, uh, Laodicea as well. I know they're gonna need my greeting and it will encourage them. He greets another church, the church that meets at Nympha's home, he says. Nympha, probably a wealthy single lady, maybe be uh, widowed of good reputation. It's worth noting here that the roles of elders and the teaching ministry of the church, where men and women are involved, is reserved for men according to God's wise, good purposes. But the church is not a boys' club, and it shouldn't look that way, and it shouldn't feel that way. Nympha is hosting the church in her home, and she's greeted by name, by Paul. Praise God for Nympha and the Nympha's among us. Gospel reports, gospel greetings, now gospel instructions, verses 16 through 17. First, instructions for a little letter swapping. Letter swapping. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. This tells us when Paul wrote, he had a couple things in mind. He expected his letter to be read around, to be read around. He wrote his letters so that they could be circulated. He wrote to the Colossians in such a way that the Laodiceans would be edified. And friends, when this letter was written, it was written as well by the Spirit of God, inspired through Paul, so that we would hear and be edified in it. Paul also intended that his letter would be read out loud. That it we read out loud. People didn't come to the church with their Bibles. They didn't have them printed. They came to church for the Bible. For the Bible. And don't think just because you carry a Bible around during the week, or maybe you read it during the week, that you don't need the Bible when you come to church. This is where actually God and His wise purpose is designed for you to get it, where it's preached and where it's spoken one to another. How important is it then that we read scripture as we do out loud together in our services when we meet and to hear it preached? When we started the book of Colossians together, the shepherding group leaders all met for a whole couple hours. We read through the whole book of Colossians together out loud and then we rummaged around to see what we could see as we got started and we'll do the same thing with First Timothy before we dive in to that book soon. We have another instruction here. Verse 17, say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you've received from the Lord. Who knows why he needed it? Maybe he's being lazy. Maybe he needed public pressure and encouragement. Special designation as a minister of the Lord. His ministry received, received from the Lord. Consider that those who lead and want to lead, that we don't climb ladders and we don't maneuver into roles and we do not expect to be given ministry appointments we stand as those entrusted with ministry and we receive it from the lord we are his his people is his his plan is his and the ministry that he gives is his and consider this as we have just done this appointing elders and deacons together that these offices are not ultimately ours to give and our elders don't ultimately though they do account to the congregation but but our rep, or our representatives who account to districts or something like that. No, elders are identified and appointed and the ministry that they have received is a ministry from the Lord for his purposes and by his means, the word. So fellow elders among us, are you getting lazy? See that you fulfill the ministry you've received from the Lord. Are you discouraged and neglecting the work? See that you fulfill the ministry that you've received from the Lord. Are you overextended due to some poor decisions, which can happen, or just being caught in the middle of providential circumstances? See that you fulfill the ministry that you've received from the Lord. And fellow elder, are you so proud in serving in your flesh? Have you not tended for your own soul? Have you become possessive of your role and protective of personal influence? See that you fulfill the ministry that you've received from the Lord. Tend ever to the ministry God has given to you. Finally, we have a gospel goodbye in verse 18. I write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Grace be with you. Paul's hands are wrapped in chains, but the letter he writes is filled, even brimming with grace He began, as we began our service, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And he ends with these words, grace be with you. Grace that fills us with love and encouragement and energy for our church so that we want to care for one another with the very personal love that made Paul say, I write this with my own hand. That affection is right on the page. Grace that fills us with perspective to see the powerful working of God in and through even the chains and the trials that we have and gives us every reason for rejoicing even in them for the sake of the church. Grace that fills us with energy to see all the power and authority under Jesus' feet who is preeminent in creation and new creation. And over Caesar and over every Link in the chain at Paul's feet. And grace that fills our view with stories like the conversion of Epaphras and through Epaphras, the conversion of the church, so that we see the gospel growing around us and in us and throughout the whole world. And grace that knits our hearts together, Jew and Gentile, slave and free, and even old friendships fractured by sharp disagreement. Grace that has come to me and grace that has come to you. The same grace that fills us with all the fullness of God in Christ. For as he wrote, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him. Grace be with you, brothers and sisters. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for all the grace that has come to us in this book over these months. The grace and the peace that are in Christ Jesus have enveloped this letter and have come to us by the preaching of the word and by meditation and by speaking the word to one another week in, week out. And it has come to us in this last hour. And Father, there's been grace coming to us through this letter, and grace will go with us as you go with us. And so we pray that our church and our lives. And the life of our church would be pervaded by the grace and the peace that are in Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus, who is preeminent over all creation. And Christ Jesus, the firstborn from the dead, who was raised from the dead a new creation so that we might be a new creation in him. Father, help us in keeping this letter to seek the things that are above where he is seated and not the things on earth. And when he appears in great glory so we will appear with him. In Christ's name we pray, amen.